Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. Welcome to the Arkansas AgCast for June 3rd. I'm your host, Rob Anderson. On this week's edition, we hear about important issues facing the beef cattle industry. We also get an update on this year's rice crop, and we take a look at overall row crop planting progress and find out what might lie ahead this growing season. First up, Jason Brown sits down with Dr. Vic Ford from the University of Arkansas Cooperative Extension Service to check in on the 2021 row crop growing season. Dr. Ford talks about planting progress and shares some of the unique challenges and opportunities this year's erratic weather patterns are providing farmers in the natural state. Welcome to the Arkansas AgCast. I'm Jason Brown, and today we have the Associate Vice President for Ag and Natural Resources from the University of Arkansas Division of Agriculture Cooperative Extension Service. Dr. Vic Ford. Dr. Ford, thank you for making the time to join us. If you would please tell us a little bit about your background and your work at the Extension Service. Well, thanks for inviting me, Jason. I I really enjoy doing these things and really hope we give give folks some information that will help them out. Um, A little bit about my background. I'm a a Northeast Tennessee native. I grew up in 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 the mountains and valleys of Northeast Tennessee and uh, worked uh, beef cattle and tobacco as a kid growing up. Uh, I was fortunate to be able to start working for farmers about the age of 12 and been working for them just about ever since. And um, decided I was going go to go to school and I did not want to work with beef cattle or tobacco as my career. And I got into uh, forestry and really got interested in, in, in soils and actually uh, worked on soils and soil microbiology in my graduate degrees and was able opportunity to get my start as a uh, extension forester at the University of Arkansas at the Southwest Research and Extension Center in Hope. And actually as the first uh, PhD faculty that hired there besides the director and uh, worked there for five years and got a chance to do research in industry for 20 and came back as the director there in 2008. And about five years ago, I was asked uh, to temporarily um, come up and help Dr. Cartwright when he became the director as his associate director. And uh, I've been here for four and a half years and be five years in September and have the best job in the state. I get to work with agriculture producers in every commodity. And I make the joke about not working with beef cattle. But since I have went to Hope in 2008, I've worked very closely with the beef cattle producers. And those are folks are the salt of the earth also. So have a, have a great career and, and love serving the people of Arkansas. Great. Yeah. I think I remember when you, when you came on to, to start at the university and, and uh, it's been a, a fantastic to have you here. So we're just a few days into June, 2021. And uh, we just experienced, I think the, the coolest Memorial day on record in 50 years could you tell us how or, or if the weather uh, has had an impact, that cooler weather has had an impact on row crop uh, planting season? Oh, it's, that's, that's a, that's a $64,000 question. Weather always uh, has an impact on us in, in, in any kind of agriculture commodity. But this year has been rather cooler than normal and wetter than normal. And uh, the patterns are setting up very similar to 20. 10 2012 where we came had a very wet season till till the end of may and and stopped so i'm hoping the 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 rain doesn't stop but 
our cooler temperatures and wetter temperatures have set us up that one is that we're not able to get into the field and do what we need to. We can't get crops planted. We can't get our herbicide applied. We can't get our fertilizer out. So you can imagine just the logistics of that being able to get in and get out. The other thing is, is that we're having pest problems. These, these cooler, wetter temperatures, uh, conditions are causing things like disease to to uh, run rampant. Great example of that is is the is the uh, uh, scab on on wheat. Uh, we have pests that we don't normally have, like uh, snails on soybeans. So we're having a lot of things that would impact us now and what we're looking at into the future is that we'll probably we're looking at maybe we'll show up things like southern soybean sudden death syndrome so we're we're kind of concerned with these cool wet temperatures starting out we're getting we're not getting the crops that we wanted into the field Uh, we're not uh, getting applications of the needed things we do to get the crop uh, healthy and growing quickly so it's been a very good uh, a very good year in terms of moisture, but not a very good year because more, the too much moisture is as, as bad as as not not enough. So it's it, I've gone a, I've gone around about on this explanation trying to explain, but it's it's created some conditions that's uh, going to make it hard to keep the crop healthy for the rest of the year. And with a few exceptions, we're down acreages. Uh, for all the crops, uh, for example, um, uh, Jared Harkey was telling us that we may not get a million acres. Normally, we're about 1.2 million acres of rice, and I think we're going to break the million acres, which is a very good thing for our rice producers. But it's again, uh, these conditions have made it, have made it very difficult to farm. Yeah, certainly. Um, you know, thinking about that, are there are there any uh, crops, you know, adversely, I guess, are there any crops that have seen uh, this, this weather as an advantage or, or any, any growers that have, have been able to take advantage of some of the wetter weather patterns, um, this growing season so far? We're looking at 60 to 70,000 acres of peanuts in Arkansas, primarily in the Northeast part of the state, a very good rotation crop with cotton because peanuts are not susceptible to root knot nematode. And it's been a, a needed crop we've had in, in terms of a rotation. And they've actually, what I have been told by uh, our, our peanut educator, that we have uh, primarily got all the peanuts planted. So they were able to get things done and get it out when those conditions were right. But we're only talking, you know, 70, 60 to 70,000 acres. Our, our uh, uh Intended planning for uh, cotton this year. I think we're pretty close to where we're at. We're at about 490,000 acres. We're down from our five-year average, but I think we're probably close to what people had planned to put out in cotton this year. That uh, doesn't say that the wet conditions have, are not affecting those crops, but they were able to get them out. Um, we've seen some um, uh, diseases in cotton, thrips um, and Thrips and pigweeds are, are always a, a problem with early cotton. We're seeing that. Um, we're seeing uh, uh, delayed maturity. Uh, plants operate m- metabolically by the temperature that, that, that they're, they're growing in. So if you have low temperatures, those plants aren't, aren't metabolizing 
as they would normally, and they're not producing the sugars, they're not producing the growth that we would expect. So things are coming out and germinating, but they're kind of sitting there until we get those warmer conditions. And plants like cotton are very sensitive to that. The other thing, if peanuts get up and going and, and our other crops and it stays this way, we're going to see a lot of foliar diseases this year. So we're hoping that things warm up, things get drier and get these crops going. But we have had a couple of things that we're able to get pretty close to where we're at. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's good information there. How Speaking of, of the planting season, and, and I think you, you, you shared a little bit about this on cotton and, and peanuts both there, but just overall speaking across row crops, how far along are we in the planting season? Sometimes we'll see that those percentage planted numbers uh, come about and uh, be interested if you, if you have any of that information to share. Well, actually uh, we're actually looking at, uh, according to, to our, our soybean agronomist at 81% for soybeans. And usually our five year average at this time is about 74%. So we're a little bit ahead. They, again, folks got out early, but again, this wet conditions are having uh, affected. Uh, rice, we're at 99%. So about all the rice is going to get planted. Uh, we're going to have some uh, prevented planted acres, I'm sure, in all the crops, but that seems to be pretty good. Um, cotton um, is, like I mentioned earlier, uh, I think we're down about 15% of what we would be normally uh, five-year average. Corn planting um, has been delayed, uh, and we're probably looking, you know, down uh, acreages wise, but we're not looking at 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 uh, you know, so, you know, we're looking at intended planting in March with seven hundred thousand acres, and I think we're probably going to end up with about five hundred to six hundred thousand acres planted before it's over with. Um. Sorghum, we're less, you know, we're, folks were planting re, uh, really about 100,000 acres, and I think we're going to be less than that uh, that was expected from that. And, of course, <clears throat> our wheat uh, acreages were down. We're down less than 10,000 acres of wheat, I think, this year totally. So, again, and that's not really weather-related. It's more uh, crop, crop uh, income-related. Mm -hmm. But we're we're looking at you know less crops, uh, maybe some plant, prevented planted acres. But it's not all bad. But it's it is uh, challenging out there to get to get the intended crops out there. Sure. So it sounds like for the most part uh, we're almost almost wrapped up with planting season across the board uh, this year. I would think that we would have another month. Then you would mention that soybeans, uh, you know, about eighty one percent. I think we'll get a lot more soybeans planted between now. And and the 4th of July, and that's really the traditional traditional uh, cutoff. Uh, the thing about planting, or planting being later than we would like is that it affects yields. And if we, get, if we go from this cool period to, to immediately to a hot period, it's going to be really rough on yields. So we're, we're, we're kind of expecting, you know, not record yields this year, and hopefully we could reach average yields this year. But... Again, weather, you know, we're, we're, we're looking at a very, very a big variable in the weather. And if it gets hot, we're going to be problems. If it stays cool, it's problems. We're hoping for a more seasonal warm-up. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think that makes sense. Well, let's let, we've talked a lot about challenges. We've talked a lot about opportunities. And, of course, it's Arkansas, we, so we have talked a lot about the weather as well. 
Um, let's turn our attention back to, to, to your sort of daily responsibilities there at the extension service. Are there any, uh, projects that you guys have, have deployed this season that you're particularly excited about and uh, bonus points. If any of those just happen to line up with some of these, uh, wild weather patterns that we've seen. We're, we're actually, we're actually, um, we we plan it. We plan a lot of these in the winter time and, and coming up. But I think some of the things that we're looking at in terms of uh, uh, planning uh, timing studies, we got all of our crops have a planning timing study with them that, that you will plant several dates throughout the grow, early growing season. And what that does is that it helps us estimate yield reduction. And some years, uh, if it's a normal year, the earlier generally the earlier you get the more yields you're going to have. And when you get to the, to May, June, you're going to drop yields. Um, some years that's an exception with the weather changes to the more favorable growing conditions. Like I said, it doesn't get as hot as fast. So that kind of is exciting because we're adding information to the producers. So, okay. I, you know, I had to delay planting to, to May 15th. Okay. What does that mean for my rice production? Or, you know, we, we were, we're looking at corn and we couldn't get our corn early. If I plant beans now, how's that com- compare to planting corn? So that, that kind of, that kind of decision-making tools is really important. And that's the kind of things I get excited about. <clears throat> I think some of the work that we've done and educational work we're doing, you know, with some, uh, not a little bit off row crop with beef cattle, I've talked to our, our, uh, cattle producers this weekend and we're having a quite a bit of problems with getting in in and out of hay fields the, the hay's getting too mature and those that are doing the better job are actually going into the hay letting it cure a little bit and then wrapping it in you know bailing it and wrapping it in uh, plastic and creating haylage and we're getting a lot of folks more and more folks in the springtime going to haylage and i think that's a really good program that we're doing so <laughs> working with Arkansas, excuse me, working with Arkansas conditions as um, we are, we we're, we're making progress in, in, in determining how to, how do we, how do we become more efficient in these, in these weather patterns and weather conditions and things such as timing of planting, so things such as creating a new technology such as haylage, um, looking at, at, at new technology of, 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 weed control in, in conditions where we don't get into those fields. I think those kind of, those kind of things are really exciting in terms of giving farmers options when things that don't go according to plan. Yeah, that's, that's, that's good. I'll have to share that. I was just talking to a rancher this morning. I'll have to share some of that, some of that insight uh, with him. He was, he mentioned the challenges of, of cutting hay uh, with the wet weather. Uh, Okay, this one may may be a tough one on you. I hope I'm not springing something on you here, but is there a piece of advice that you would offer uh, growers this season? I think the piece of advice is something we talk to growers, and I think the piece of advice is, is one, uh, collect all the information you can from folks that, that are seeing things. And I said, get, get in contact with your county agent and uh, uh, stay in contact as things get become available we're, we're really trying to, to keep the technology so that the farmers can can uh, make a profit and we're, we're looking at at not necessarily maximizing yields but maximizing profit 
So if you, you notice a lot of times in our studies that is that is that we're looking for what's the critical level of treating for insects? What's the critical level of treating for weeds? And that way we don't do uh, do treatments that are not ne- that are that are unnecessary and it's better for the pocketbook and better for the environment. So my advice is is come up with a good uh, program, learn how to uh, do things when they're needed, and uh, make make uh, treatments treatments uh, accordingly. Uh, a great example is irrigation. One of the best savings right now that we can recommend to our producers is putting out soil moisture sensors and not irrigating according to what well, we're going to irrigate every Monday morning. If you irrigate uh, when the soil tells you when the crop needs it, you're going to save 20% in water and you're going to save 25% in irrigation costs. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. That's a, that's a good one. Well, let's think of, let's turn our, our, our attention away from growers now and, and think along the lines of consumers. What is one thing that consumers should keep in mind this year specifically as they walk the grocery store aisles, I know we've seen lots of conversation about uh, prices and supply chain and things of that nature. Do you have any, um, do you have any advice or words of wisdom to share with consumers as they walk the aisles of the grocery store? Yes, I have lots of information I would like to share with the consumers, but I think the first thing is, is that when you see a tomato or a cucumber or a box of uh, macaronis, a jug of milk, a, a, a carton of yogurt, an egg. There's a people. There's people behind that, and we we, we work with with primarily with producers. But there's a whole industry in there. We're talking about people who work in work in the plants, people who work in fertilizer uh, supply and distribution. We're talking about people who work who supply the equipment and fix the equipment. There's a whole economy to get that to you as a consumer. And it affects everyone's economy. So keep in the back of your mind, you know, about, you know, if you're paying this for a jug of milk or this for a, for a, for a carton of eggs, that, is, that very little of that actually goes to the farmer, but a lot of that goes to this, this supply chain and processing to get it to you as the consumer. So I think, you know, I think we do think about that. And I think the other thing we need to think about is that we have the most plentiful and safest food supply in the world and probably in history. And we have people that, that, that are dedicated to making sure that you have the safest food supply that we can have possible. And that's supported by research uh, and, and supported by a whole host of folks to ensure that 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 food is safely into your kitchen and in, and onto your plate, so that we don't have the, the E. coli outbreaks or we don't have this outbreak or that outbreak or contaminated food. Is that we work hard uh, to work with producers and the producers work hard to make sure that food supply remains safe. Okay, yeah, that's that's those are good reminders for us for us all, even even those who of us who work in this business. Uh, any, anything else you'd like to add as we sort of wrap up here? Yeah. Well, one of the things I'd like to add, there's always certain meetings and things going on if, if you're an ag producer, but one of the interesting things that we we've got is a whole new industry 
it's been, I say new, it's been in the state for, for 30 or 40 years, but we're really getting more and more folks doing, doing things such as, uh, uh, small fruits. Uh, we're getting a lot of folks doing things like, like, uh, um, hops. We're, you know, we're, 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 we have a, a diversity in agriculture that rivals any state in, in the, in the 50 states. And, um, you know, we, we think about when we think about farming, we think about row crops or we think about our, our beef cattle producers. But the folks doing small ruminants, the folks that are doing the horticulture crops are also becoming more and more prevalent. And I think you're going to see a lot more of those um, folks coming into the marketplace uh, with the onset, with the past legislature, with the uh, state uh, licensing uh custom uh, meat processing facilities i think you're going to see a lot more availability of lamb mm. uh goats uh you know custom cuts of, of of beef and maybe even chickens and pheasants and things of that nature but we're going to see a lot more of these products arkansas grown products coming to the marketplace so one of the things i'm, I'm reminding producers is that we do produce uh, you know these kinds of commodities and Buy them when you can. Help help our local farmers. Yeah, that's great. That's a that's a fantastic reminder. Well, this has been uh, a fantastic conversation. Thank you for for helping us understand some of the challenges, but also some of the opportunities that growers are going to see uh, this year, uh, which has certainly started off to be uh, adventurous, is is what I'll call it. Um, weatherwise. Um, and, and just thank you for taking the time, Dr. Uh, Vic Ford, uh, with the University of Arkansas, uh, Division of Agriculture Research uh, and Extension Service. Uh, appreciate you joining us and making the time, and we'll talk to you again soon. Have a great rest of your week. And thank you, Jason. Goodbye, everybody. Next, Keith Sutton chats with Jessica Richard, Director of Commodity Activities and Economics at Arkansas Farm Bureau, about important critical issues and challenges facing the beef cattle industry. Welcome to AgCast. I'm Keith Sutton with Arkansas Farm Bureau, and today my guest is Jessica Richard. Jessica works in Farm Bureau's Commodity and Regulatory Affairs Department, where she's the Director of Commodity Activities and Economics. Welcome to AgCast, Jessica. Thanks. uh, I'm glad to be back on AgCast. I know it's been a few months, and uh, I'm excited to talk with you all today. Yeah, we're going to talk today about a couple of things that are uh, in your your bailiwick, so to speak. Uh, You are our beef cattle and equine division uh, uh, person, and today we're going to talk beef. And uh, we got a lot to talk about. That's right. Sure, a lot of our listeners have been hearing some of the things going on in the beef world, and what we want to do is be sure they're aware of of the facts and uh, have all the right information uh, about the things that are going on. So I'm going to let you start out talking about these beef industry issues, and uh, we'll just see uh, where the conversation goes because it's it's quite in-depth. Yeah, sure. Uh, so there's a couple different issues going on um, in the beef industry. Uh, there's a lot of concern about uh, price transparency, Um, and discovery in the markets um, as a general theme and then also um, there's there's a lot of interest in packer margins right now Um, and then one of the other issues that's been coming up is animal traceability 
um, in addition to uh, specifically here in Arkansas Herd Health? We recently, just back on May 10th, less than a month ago, uh, there was a big group of stakeholders in the beef industry had a meeting in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, it's probably kind of important we at least uh, uh, tell people a little bit about that get-together and who was involved because uh, some of the things that happened there are important to our beef producers. Sure. That meeting uh, involved American Farm Bureau, National Cattlemen's Association, NCBA, that is, um, U.S. Cattlemen's Association, RCAF, and National Farmers Union. And so that in itself um, is pretty, it, it says something uh, that a lot of different organizations within the beef industry actually came together, had a roundtable discussion, and, and brought the issues to light as far as what are the priorities moving forward in the beef industry. So I think, I think it's not without you know, a lot of emphasis that all those groups coming together has a significance on its own, um, you know, even before you consider what the outcomes of that, that meeting should be. Well, they talked about a wide range of issues at that meeting, and we want to delve a little bit more into some of those, which you just mentioned. Well, we're, we'll pick a few because there were so many. What are some of the things that we'd like to uh, let folks know about? I think uh, the the price transparency is is one issue that got talked about that I think um, it's it's interesting to bring some attention to because a lot of pr producers have been noticing you know over time that this is an issue that we want to be talking about but it seems like that broader conversation of trying to find a solution towards greater price discovery in in the industry uh, is what seems to have become a pointed priority out of this meeting. Um, and, and other discussions within the industry right now. So when I say price discovery, what we're talking about there is uh, specifically it turns into this conversation of the proportion of cash trade versus alternative marketing arrangements within the beef industry. So we're, we're seeing some things happen across the industry, I guess, that are a little different. Some of them may be uh, brought on by the pandemic, uh, people selling beef from their farm, uh, which is a little different. More and more we're seeing that. Uh, does that relate to, to what we're talking about in price transparency? I think in a lot of ways, uh, this, this conversation of price transparency um, has had some new energy put behind it in light of the, the pandemic because of, well, two things. I think Talking to a beef audience, um, it doesn't go without saying that the Holcomb fire was also part of what's put new energy into this conversation. Um, but so basically what what's happened is that there has been, um, you know, processing capacity issues at different points in time throughout this this past year of 2020. Um, and so what so what that's done is that it has changed the structure of the marketing margin and how that's distributed on the beef supply chain. And so whenever that happens, there's a great concern out there for whose who's share of the retail dollar and where it ends up within cow-calf versus stockers and backgrounders versus a feedlot versus a packer. And so when you have those supply chain issues that tend to, tend to be sourced from processing capacity, at least in these recent situations, uh, you, you get to have a conversation about 
well, how are we actually discovering what the price is and where it should be given the certain these certain market conditions, right? And so it's the the discovery, the price discovery conversation was probably there before 2020, but now there's a new perspective and a new light on it due to these events that happened that were price shocks in the beef supply chain. So are there other issues that came out of this meeting in Phoenix that uh, we ought to talk about too? Uh, that's a big one, no doubt, and uh, probably the most important on on our beef uh, folks' mind. But are there other issues that folks might want to know about as well? Yeah, I think, I think the conversation about uh, packer concentration is – is, uh, you know, more pressing than ever in the sense that this issue has really been brought to the forefront, like I said, from these different events and, and um, the, just the context of where the industry is right now. And I think it, it should be mentioned that it is a contentious issue. Is You know, there are many different perspectives out there of um, how people think about that issue of packer concentration. Can you explain a little more about what we are talking about? Are you talking about... Uh, where they're located or uh, explain I, yeah, what that Yeah, I can means. give more context on that for sure. So uh, a great proportion of the beef supply chain goes through uh, four different companies' packing facilities. Okay. Um, that's not to say there's one packing facility for each of those four companies. It's a little more distributed than that. But um, those companies have control of most of the beef supply in terms of the processing. Okay. So the question that comes up in those conversations is is that too concentrated do we need more companies processing beef cattle so that there's a more even distribution of you know who's managing that part of the supply chain um so there are there are issues that come from that conversation about you know the question of can can that concentration lead to price influence sure that's got to be a big concern for our beef producers is whether that's happening or not. Uh, I, I guess this conference really maybe didn't produce a lot of answers, but it brought to the forefront a lot of questions mm -hmm. that need to be discussed so we do get answers. Am I right? Yes. I, th I think uh, one of the things that the meeting – probably tried to accomplish is trying to start to represent a unified voice and a consensus around the fact that these are our questions. This is what we want to move towards finding solutions to, because you can't find a solution if you don't have a pointed question that you're trying to answer sure. and a, a problem that you're clearly defining. Um, because if you just want to say, let's revolutionize the beef industry all today, you don't have a clear direction of what that means to do that. Sure. Sure. So uh, what do you see happening in the next year or so? Will we? Will there be more meetings? Will there be more uh, opportunities for conversation? How do you see us uh, looking in the next 12 months or so? Um, sure. <clears throat> <clears throat> I think that uh, a lot of those conversations are going to turn into legislative conversations and trying to find solutions that we're coming together in the Capitol around these issues. And I don't have enough experience to say exactly how that will shake out, um, but more conversations with, with you know, industry groups like NCBA and American Farm right. Bureau and, and those others um, 
but also just just bringing it to the attention of the legislation. Well, certainly we should say, <clears throat> excuse me, you work in commodity and regulatory affairs. You you don't sit down at the Capitol having those conversations, but right. we do have a division here that does that, and they will be uh, certainly talking to our legislators about a lot of these issues as we go forward. Right. So there's a, another issue that uh, we haven't talked about that's in the news lately, and uh, that's the situation with the, the big company, JBS, in uh, the ransomware attack. I'm sure everybody's heard this on the news probably by now, but what, what can you tell us about that? Because we, we want people to go away from listening to this, having the facts. So what, what do we know about that, Jessica, and, and where that stands? Sure. I'll, I'll give uh, my perspective because there are a lot of, um, there are articles out there, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't take 20 minutes to find a couple good articles on what happened over the weekend. Um, but I will give some context is it was either Saturday night or Sunday morning, uh, when the, the JBS, one of the largest beef packers in the country, um, noticed a cyber threat where there was an attack on their systems and they had to, you know, they had to respond to this threat. Um, I, I'm not a cybersecurity person. I don't know what goes into all of that. Um, but coming into, you know, into Tuesday after Memorial Day, um, there was, you know, it, it, it was told that there was a shutdown in the system and they had to return to manual operations. I don't know exactly what that means, but it, it does mean that they couldn't function as normal. There were shutdowns and then there, and there was also this big fear of, well, how much, how many cattle are going to be turned away from JBS processing, processing facilities? So that was the big fear. Um, and so the reason that that's a fear and the fact behind that is JBS handles about 19 to 20% of the beef capacity, uh, the beef processing capacity in this country. So that's um, a huge fear then, uh, a legitimate fear because they're such a big packer and all this is going on with them. Right. Uh, so I think I think the the impetus for wanting to put out information that this is going on is that if it had been two weeks where they could not kill cattle, that would be a more than a hiccup in our beef supply chain. Certainly. And there would be rerouting of cattle. There would be backup at feedlots. It would be a similar response as to, um, you know, other processing facility shutdowns that we have seen. Um, but it would not but this, depending on how long it would be sustained, it could get more a greater and greater uh, dire situation. But that's, we have news that on Wednesday, those facilities were coming back online and returning to normal function. So I guess we should say, don't panic. You don't have to go fill your freezer with beef today. Uh, we don't want that kind of panic buying going on. Uh, that's not something that, that needs to happen. That's right. I think, I think, the consumers should not be worried. I think that there's a greater conversation to be had about cybersecurity in general. I think our, our country is noticing that in light of the, of the pipeline shutdown. Um, but I think this is just a point of reference in history where we can say ag is no different. We've got to be, we've got to be just as, you know, prudent about our cybersecurity. Um, but yeah, right now I think the consumer doesn't need to be not doesn't need to be stressed out about hoarding beef right now. 
Well, we always appreciate the opportunity to talk with you, Jessica. Uh, when it comes to beef cattle, uh, you're our person on the, on the ground out there keeping your ear to the ground so we know what's going on. And that's the important thing about these conversations is being able to get the information out and be sure our listeners have the right information. So thank you again for being with us today. And We'll look for opportunities to visit again in the near future. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, and I appreciate being able to speak into these beef industry issues because that's, you know, it's a priority of mine, and that's something I'm excited about. So thank you. Thank you very much. Finally, Keith gets an update on this year's rice crop from Extension Agronomist Dr. Jared Hartke. Welcome to AgCast. I'm Keith Sutton with Arkansas Farm Bureau. Today my guest is Dr. Jared Hartke, Professor and Rice Extension Agronomist for the U of A System Division of Agriculture Cooperative Extension Service. Jared, that's a that's a long mouthful of a title, but basically you got uh, it. You got it all exactly right. Good you're job. the rice guru. That's what I'd rather call you. And uh, we kind of want to update folks on uh, what's going on in the world of rice right now. We're uh, here uh, jumping into the month of June and uh, uh, just want to let folks kind of know what's going on out there that they need to uh, be aware of. Oh, and I appreciate you having me, Keith. It is right here finally hitting the month of June. It certainly doesn't feel like it outside. No. Uh, that's, what is this, three straight years we can probably say that. That's uh, we true. hit June and uh, not, doesn't feel like we've made it. Um, you know, the, the rice crop out there, I, we, we can't, we still can't figure out if we're coming or going just yet. And, and that's reflected by the, the cool, wet conditions we're referring to about it not feeling like it's June yet. Right. Um, my, you know, still so many complaints, you know, a bunch of the rice, not that there was that much planted on the, on the, what we consider the truly early side, but but there's a good amount of that that we we caught enough of a window in there we've we've gone ahead and been able to fertilize and put some of that rice to flood cleaned up pretty well and that was a nice little start really moved on to to really more of the rest of the rice moving you know now into when the bulk of the rice what was planted uh really you could say around mid-april and beyond certainly right. the the majority went in and unfortunately, now with the the cool weather, continued reports of, uh, I should say, not just the cool, but also cloudy weather. I can I, I never want to discount. I think sometimes we forget we we talk about rice and the the heat units or the DD fifty degree day units driving growth, and they're still driving the age of that rice. Okay. But when we're not getting adequate sunlight. We're also not necessarily growing those plants off like in, in height. So you can go out there and count leaves and based on the DD50 units, you know, we're still hitting those marks, but they're pretty short plants. And when you talk about flooding rice, short plants create a problem. Uh, we don't want to, when we start trying to fertilize and go to flood, we don't want that flood to be too deep on those plants and, and give them some stress we want them to be healthy and happy and put that flood on and they just keep growing and, and the flood work in our favor. And, and when the rice is too short, it can be difficult to do that. So 
that's one of the kind of, I guess, more common complaints right now with some of that rice out there just not getting enough height. And when we have to delay going to flood as early as we want, you know, one of the first things is losing weed control. So there's a lot of concern out there right now on some of those. You know, we need to get this cleaned up and, and hurry up and get to flood, but it's just not very tall. We're afraid we're going to have to turn around and spray again right. by the time this stuff gets tall enough. Uh, you know, significant cost and just risk of just general loss of control. Are we uh, seeing any differences in different regions of the state, uh, Jerry? I, always, but the way to generalize that may be a little too general, but but bear with me. The the northern half of the state, all you know, Interstate 40 is not a perfect east-west interstate, but it provides a nice north-south split right. for the sake of conversation. More or less... Most of what's going on is about a week difference. The south half of the state usually has similar problems and issues about a week in advance of the northern half of the state. So as an example of that, a lot of the biggest problem window or or rice that we planted that's experienced kind of more of the issues uh, brought on by the season, it was really the, the early part of April through about the 15th in the southern south of I-40 and really from about the 15th through the 25th of April, north of I-40. I mean, it, it became almost comical here for a while. Somebody could call and I got some sick rice. And I'm like, <laughs> depending on where they were, I could say, I bet you planted it in this window. Yes. Yeah. How'd you know that? And I go, well, you're up there. Well, how'd you know? Well, you're down there. And that's, it, you know, kind of picks up that rhythm to it. Um, that's that's just you know been the general theme uh again get back into heat temperature certainly rainfall patterns are different and and have created unique spots in the state that have made more progress at times versus those with less but honestly that changes on a week by week basis who caught temperatures and rain and and made a jump and who didn't so we we really kind of trying to run through that and and beyond that and the, the the height of the rice that i was focusing on that that we we caught that small gap of a, a dry window when we made it about a week where we had such strong winds for that week we made a lot of progress on a variety of things but then needed a rain yes. because we dried the soil out well wishes do come true and sometimes you 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 wonder if you wish for the right thing because <laughs> now it largely you know went back to not stopping again and and it, we went from 85 to 90 degrees and fairly windy saying okay summer's finally here to the rain came back and now we've got temperatures back down and now we're in that battle of rice that again may be of adequate size and age and is otherwise in good shape needs to be fertilized and flooded and it's in its wet ground and flooding and water on fields and coming off and just starting to get into some of those management nightmares that quite honestly could just be cured very simply by suddenly being 85 plus degrees and sunny for a week and everything simplifies itself. And then, then it turns around into there's just not enough time in the day right. to get everything done. We want to, but, but that's a, a better scenario than, than right now. We don't know really which way to turn at the moment for, for handling some of these. I mean, we certainly are, are, are giving growers and consultants guidance on a situation by situation basis. And we hope they continue to call us specifically on those as we try to work our way through these problems. But, I mean, the overall 
you know, condition of the crop is, is very good to excellent. Good. I mean, there are always fields out there, you know, that's, it's just that normal time of year. You, you're going to have problems, but overall the crop looks very good. We're, we're still pretty much on time. All of the rice that's been taken to, to flood so far and been fertilized is, is really, really has a great look to it at the moment and is taking off very well. We're just, we just have so much still to go right. that we're right. right on the cusp of being able to do it. If the weather will give us the window and it's, it's not looking great in the immediate future either. Yeah. It's looking it's, pretty rainy uh, the next few days, maybe uh, spotty here and there. Yeah. You know, a lot of us, I think over the past, uh, uh, you know, day or so we're expecting, you know, one to two inches, so, you know, maybe we'd get an inch out of the rainfall event. Well, there are plenty of places that got two and a half, three plus yes. inches of rain out of this most recent one. So we're, you know, suddenly here we are backed up all over the place. And I don't have too many reports. Uh, it, there were some heavy times of rainfall, but it wasn't like it all came in one super fast drop. So not too many, uh, too much concerning reports I've already gotten about blowing out levees or anything. We did have some of that a little earlier in the year uh blowing a few levees i think right now we're certainly wearing on them but i think we're we're at least okay there so far we, we don't need to get too much of a start on that but you that's know I, that, that's the one positive good news <laughs> yes and and i'm you know i'm forced to reflect back to to last year and i forget the exact date i would have to look it up but but it was tropical storm cristobal that, yes. that came across us right about this time last year and you know how quickly we all forget that happened about this time last year was still this kind of stuff in the forecast you know continued uh wet look to it and everything but that happened and then the majority of the delta didn't get much appreciable rain for about the next six weeks following cristobal blowing through and and we had a really good run it never got too hot or anything but it's nice and warm and Finally got got free of the rainy period and we really got off rolling. So I'm I'm not wishing for a tropical storm to come in <laughs> that sure, early again, sure. but but we need something to bust up this pattern and, one of the, uh, and allow us to get on a run. One of the things you and I have talked about uh, a couple of times over the past few years is row rice. Is it is it affected differently? And do we are we seeing a lot of row rice being planted this year? Oh, absolutely. So, so we estimated, uh, excuse me, we estimated 15, 16% of our acres last year were in row rice. I expect a very similar percentage. I mean, our total acres are down this year. That that's not news to anybody. So, you know, the total acres should still be right. down a bit as well, but percentage wise jockeying for position with corn and soybean, you know, that row rice ground, stuff like that I, I expect there to be a shuffle but to ultimately come out a similar percentage but it's got some of its own um again pros and cons and even issues for the year so i mentioned like some of those high winds we've had earlier sustained days of, of pretty high winds and particularly when they start coming out of the north you've got a cool air and extremely dry air a number of calls all the way from missouri down to louisiana of you know those bed tops drying out really rapidly compared to the furrows and you're getting salt wicking to the top and trying to kill the rice uh. and you know the, the 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 crazy thing about it with row rice is it usually takes 
quite a bit of salt content to the surface. Basically, you know, the gist there is when you get into row rice. So when you take like drill seated flat, you know, rice, you got those flat patties in between levees. Most of the time, even a mild salt content, it just doesn't do anything. Everything's pretty flat, so it evaporates out pretty uniformly. And when I say evaporates out, as the moisture evaporates from the soil surface, it leaves the salt behind right. at the soil surface. And that's what, you know, leaves it right in the root zone for the rice. And that's what will make them sick. But on those flat patties, it's all pretty evenly distributed. Nothing in most cases get, gets too built up. There are certain hot spots that have a lot in irrigation water. So they have annual issues, but that's not true for most areas. But when you move in that row rice, Basically, those beds are a bunch of little levees, so the furrow bottom stays really wet, and so the it's not evaporating there and leaving the salt. It's all coming out of the bed tops and depositing the salt up there, so you get these healthy furrows and rice dying up on the top, and you, you really need to, to dry out the furrows, too, so it'll stop accumulating there or get some rainfall, you know, something to shut it down. And like I said, we've, we've seen that happen. And the, the quickest solution is for the wind to turn around, the weather to change and, and it'll help alleviate the problem. But you know, that that's been one of the unique factors that's, that's gone on with, with row rice since we really started picking up on it as guys started figuring it out that even with no history of a salt problem and arguably really not one there to speak of when conditions go the right way, those, those far as holding water, uh, can create a problem for those bed tops and the rice on it. So, well, that's, so that's been the battle so far. I guess basically we need to cross our fingers, hope for a little warmer, uh, sunny weather. Uh, that that would be what we need for our rice farmers right now. I, th- I think most all commodities would be just happy if we got our wish yeah, sure. uh, on the rice side. Everybody would agree with it. Yeah, I saw too many uh, – soybean fields this morning with water backed way up in them yeah absolutely and uh, nobody's too happy about it at the moment it needs to get gone fast for them as well well we always appreciate you taking time to kind of get us up to date on how things are looking around the state and uh, want to give you the opportunity to let folks know how do they uh, find more information if they should need it i know you're putting out a, a regular rice report now for the folks that need it uh would you like to speak to that before we uh, give it a go? Yes. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So for, for more rice-specific information, you can go to uaex.uada.edu slash rice, and that'll jump you to the extension rice page where everything's on there, including copies of the, the links to the newsletter that you mentioned. Uh, if you want to get the weekly rice newsletter, again, mostly geared toward production, production issues, but also rice markets and things, uh, you can send an email to rice at uada.edu, and we can get you signed up for that as well. And uh, certainly, uh, I think all my contact information is pretty, <laughs> pretty easily grabbable, but, yes. and including on the extension rice page, so, so everybody can feel free to reach out to me with any questions or if they have trouble finding anything. We always appreciate it, Dr. Hardkey. Thanks for taking time again today, and uh, we'll look forward to an update sometime in the near future to see if uh, our wishes came true. Sounds great. Thanks for having me, Keith. Thank you very much. That's a wrap for this week's Arkansas AgCast. Check in next Thursday for more news and views on Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas agriculture.